Now, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. And, and again, you'll wonder why I'm talking slow sometimes. It's just I'm trying to make sure I do the right thing with my tooth. Now, we have an opportunity, as Paul teaches something, all service, you're going to hear Paul teach one word, truth. The teaching is entitled this. You guys at home, Vieira Sebastian in the balcony, deciding to believe God's truth, God's work. Now, here's an opening statement, and I encourage you to take some notes as you go through. Of course, you can get them online. You don't have to write them out. But it, as you know, writing a note, a key fa- uh, principle, is way better than you trying to remember it later. Uh, writing is better memory than our minds. Here's the first one. Belief matters. Belief means to accept as true or real. Now, when Christians live different than the rest of the world, here's why. Take a look on the overhead. Here's a Bible. Christians live their lives with the lens of the Bible. That's how we look at life. The world doesn't care about this. We look through this. And so it means we live by revelation. Revelation. Because that is revelation from God. Every word in here is revelation from God. Now, unbelievers, they live by speculation. What do you think is going to happen? What should we do? They have no idea that they could actually, if they became a follower of Christ, could know the truth and live by basically the same thing we talked about, revelation. So here's the next sentence you want to write down. Unbelievers live by speculation because they live by their own wisdom, not God's wisdom. And that's a failure. It will not work. Now, every decision we make is related to what we believe. And you've heard it said, people will say this to you. They mean well, they just don't get it. Some people say, well, Pastor Mark, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely. Really? No, that's 100% wrong. Here's what you need to understand. What matters is not that you believe. What matters is what you believe. I mean, you can believe all you want be sincere. That doesn't work. So correct living is rooted in correct belief. And that's why we have the Bible, because it's true. Now, let's turn to Acts chapter 13. And we begin in verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John, John Mark, left to return to Jerusalem. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they're sailing there. And the Bible, Luke, who's writing this, the book of Acts, doesn't tell us why John Mark left. And we don't really know. There's a lot of people with ideas, and I'll just throw some out to you. 
Maybe he was homesick. Remember, he came from Jerusalem, and he'd rather maybe be back in Jerusalem. Or they're getting ready to climb uh, to Pisidiana, Antioch, to a very high mountain, which is 3,600 feet, and they're going to have to walk up there. You know, they don't have a bus. And then one of the big ones people think is at the bottom of that mountain range, there was uh, lowlands, and it was filled with basically uh, something you will know, malaria. And there's a lot of people. Remember, Paul had problems. Later on, he talked about it. He can't see. He had had somebody write the Bible and whatever. He had sickness. And many people think he got that from that area. We don't know if that's true or not, but a lot of people think that. Now, when Mark said, John Mark said to Paul, I'm leaving, Paul was not a happy camper because there was only three of them. But eventually, you'll see as we go through the book of Acts, they get that solved. But right at that point, it was, it was not a happy time. Here's, I'm going to give you a bunch of truths today if you want to write them down. Here's the first one, truth. Satan loves to cause division, especially from within. In a church, he loves to cause division within. In the marriage, he wants to cause it. At your workplace, he wants to do that. If family issues, issues right there, hat always comes from within. Now, verse 14. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. Pisidian Antioch. So I want to show you a quick map so you'll kind of know where we're going and what we've been doing. Now, Pisidian Antioch is different than the Antioch over here, Seleucia. That's where the whole group started. Remember, on the Mediterranean, you see it right down here. And we watched them last week go to Cyprus and remember Paphos. And now they're going, if you look up there, Perga, look right at the top, Pisidian Antioch. That's where the first missionary journey is happening. This is just part of it. They'll go to different parts later. But you can see where that is on the map. So there's where they are. They're moving on as God directed. And one of the things you're going to see here is this. The city that you saw that they're going to, Pisidian Antioch, was filled with Greeks and Romans. And, of course, they're all Gentiles. They're pagan worshipers, totally, not at one true God at all. And uh, <clears throat> there was also in that city lots of Jewish people as well. So let's get on to verse 14. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue, Jewish synagogue, and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Now, this is a pretty normal thing for Paul to do. Remember when God got him on the road to Damascus? He said to Saul, whose name changed to Paul because he was Greek. Uh, He said, Jesus said, your focus in the future is Gentiles. Go to the Gentiles. But he's a Jew. He's a rabbi. So he still remembers these people. And so you will find him very often, the first thing he does, he goes into a synagogue. But this particular synagogue, as many did, uh, basically had 
Gentiles, and you'll see this in a moment, and Jewish people there. Now, we just read in those verses what a normal service would look like. They would start with prayers, and then there'd be readings. For all they would have is the Old Testament, have readings of the law, the first five books of the Bible, and then a reading from the prophets, and finally a, a short teaching. Now, after they, that there was, if there was open time at the end of doing all that, they would watch because different people would come in. They would watch people come in as a guest, and they would say to the person, would you like to speak if you have a word of encouragement? Well, what do you think Paul thought about that invitation? You think Paul say, well, I'm not really ready to speak today. No, you, you couldn't have held him back. He'd have run right up front because, remember, he's a rabbi, so he wanted to do that. So this is exactly what happened. Now, notice what they've asked the people to do. Give a word, uh, the speaker to do, give a word of encouragement. Here's another truth. The church should be a place of truth and encouragement. You know, nobody wants to come to church and be spiritually torn down. Nobody wants to come to church to be entertained. Nobody wants to come to church feeling worse when they leave than when they came. That's caused by a pastor beating the sheep, being negative. Now, sometimes, quite often, I have to tell you the truth. Sometimes it isn't easy for any of us. You think it's hard for you? How about me? But God does it. He uses loving correction for all of us. So one of the things you're going to see Paul do uh, is what I want you to read with me. Would you just read with me uh, online at Sebastian and Vera here in Melbourne, down on the floor, up, up on the balcony? Let's read this together. Here we go. We come to church to what? Worship God. To be taught the truth, the Bible, to encourage one another, and to leave with what? Hallelujah. That's what our goal is. That's what a pastor's goal is. And I've been for many years, I taught the pastors, no matter what the section, no matter what you're talking about, at the end, help the people to leave with hope. Because our world outside is bad enough. We don't want to leave worse than we did. Now, as we go through this, as you have to understand Paul is going to do something interesting. Now, look at verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand. Now, look at me. Everybody, just look at me. He's going to speak to two groups, Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. So watch it. Paul motioned with his hand and said, men of Israel, Jews, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Now, of course, the Jews are the ones that orchestrated the synagogue service. The Gentiles, basically, they got tired of worshiping dead idols. Let me give you an example. Let's say this was an idol, or you're worshiping Venus in the sky, which is a nothing. And you, you pray to this idol for years, would you be satisfied with that? Well, they didn't know anything else better, so they got satisfied with it. But then somebody, one of the Jews, probably mentioned to him, 
we worship a one true God who cares for you and speaks to us. Really? You think that's better than bowing down to this? Way better. So they would start infiltrating the Jewish synagogue. You find this over and over and over again. Worshiping a dead idol is useless. You get no response. You nobody to care about you. Nobody to give you answer or wisdom. So what they did, they would join. Now, they would join the Jews. And the Jews didn't mind it because they wanted to believe in the one true God, our God. But here was the problem. They would not go full on board. In other words, they wouldn't do and try to obey the law, all the rules and regulations that come with it. You know, sometimes there are over 600 rules. They said, not going to do it. And if you were a man, uh, the next thing you do, if you're going to join the Jewish plane, you're going to have to be circumcised. Well, if you're 28 and 42, uh, you're going to go, I'm not going that far, but I'll believe the one true God. And your wife's probably saying, say, don't you dare, don't you dare. And so that's all they would do. So all they believed in, this is all they knew, was that there was a one true God. They didn't know the Bible. They didn't understand the Bible. But you're going to see uh, what Paul does today. It's fantastic. Now, God had opened this door. Remember when they left? They started on a mission trip. They knew they were called because the Holy Spirit said, I'm sending Barnabas. And I'm sending Paul on this missionary trip. But they didn't know where they were going or when or how it was going to happen. Well, here they are. They've gone to three or four different cities. Here they are. And God opens a door. And you're going to see the powerful door he opens. Now, here's something important for you and me. When God opens the door of opportunity, we need to enter it. When he opens it, you need to enter it. When I had, find, God led me, and I said, I'll tell you later about this. He led me with, in so many ways to a dentist. I have a normal dentist, but I knew I had to have surgery and oral surgery and all this stuff. I, I, I didn't know who to go to, so I just prayed. And you won't believe all the things God opened at the door. It is just miracle after miracle. It's not about me. It was just God. And when he gave me that, I had a peace instantly, and he allowed that to happen. So, don't, don't get to a place where you think when God opens the door of opportunity and you know it's God, don't just step back, go right on in. And I can tell you later, I went right on in and God just honored it so much. Now, he's going to teach the Jews who knew the Jewish scriptures. That's what a Jew did. That's what a Jew did. And he would shape his message for the Jews Let's just do this as a picture. This is the Jewish section. And this would be here in a balcony uh, or at home. Uh, you would be the Gentiles. Now, how is he going to balance that? He's going to ask God for wisdom. Because he can't teach the same thing exactly. But he's going to be, I use this word. I use this word. Uh, he is going to shape the gospel for the listeners, every one of them. He's thinking, okay, Gentiles, I was a Gentile. I was never a Gentile, but I was around Gentiles that worshiped idols. How am I going to do this? Jews, now, he knows what the Jews believe. They believe in God, but they hate Jesus. They can't stand Jesus. So he's going to shape his sermon 
And the history we were going to see, we're going to take a drip through the book, the Old Testament, the Old Testament. Every chapter in the Old Testament I'm teaching this morning. Yeah, well, there's two people laughing. The rest of you are scared out of your mind. No, I am not. Paul's going to do a summary of the Old Testament, and his focus is going to be one thing, that the Old Testament was filled with verses that pointed to the fact that the Messiah was coming to save the Jewish nation and the Gentiles. And he's going to prove to them, you're wrong believing that the Messiah that came to you wasn't the true Messiah. He was. So watch as we go. Because remember, now the Gentiles don't understand sin or getting a savior or anything like that, but he's going to pull it out to us wonderfully as we go through. So here's what you, here's his real key. Look at this, look at this key. Paul will focus on the necessity of believing all the word of God. Well, Pastor Mark, isn't it okay just to believe some of the word of God? No. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. Never. But do we have many churches today? They won't even talk about certain subjects that are written in the Bible. And I don't mean to pick on anything. But would you say that the Bible talks about the value of a baby being a human being? Okay. Well, why do we have so many churches in so many areas that know better from the Bible? Oh, kill that baby. Who cares? It's not really a baby. It's not a human being. Well, that's wrong. I don't care what you say. The Bible's clear. God is not happy with it. They've made wrong decisions. And many other kind of decisions, as you see in our world today. Satan's whole goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to get rid of the family. One man, one wife for life. He hates it. And so we see all this happening. So Paul's going to say, I don't want you just to think about the Bible and believe it. I want you to believe all of it. And that's what I'm saying to you today. Now, even though the Jews were reading the Old Testament prophecies that that talked about the coming Messiah, they were blinded to the truth. Here's why. When they thought about the Messiah, they had in the back of their mind, and you're going to see this in a moment, they're speculating. They don't think they are. They have in their mind that the Messiah is going to be a political or military leader that would free them from the physical bondage of Rome. Remember, Rome was ruling them, keeping them under control in all of those areas. So they were looking from that, and the Jews were living really, and you see that, by speculation and not the revelation of God's word. The Jews and Gentiles were religious, but they needed to believe the word of God. Now, here is kind of a statement that I wrote. Here we go. Truth. Paul would teach that the Messiah would be a servant king who would free the Jews and Gentiles, here's the focus, 
from spiritual bondage their sins. That's what it was. For some reason, the Jewish people moved away from the spiritual and went to the physical, the political. And they were totally wrong because it was clear why the Messiah was coming. It was spiritual. Now, verse 17, the God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. Now, everything you see in the Old Testament with God, he's always leading. He's always directing. He's always careful for the people. He's taking care of his people. And you'll see how that starts. Now, he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt, which with mighty power, he led them out of the country. You know that whole story. And here's an interesting part. Look at verse 18. Online, look at. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. Now think about that. Paul introduces God's sovereignty. At the beginning, starting with Abraham, he chose to have a group of people, the Jews, a nation of people, Israelites. He was going to give them the promised land, and he does. And that was for a purpose. They were to be light to the pagans that were all over the world. There was no Jewish people before he started with Abraham, and they were to be spiritual light. But they didn't do very well at all. In fact, they ended up being like the pagans, much of the Bible. But in this particular time, he had delivered them from Egypt. 400 years of bondage. He had predicted ahead of time what happened. And they were nothing but slaves. 400 years. It was horrible. And what you just saw there in that verse, look at verse 18 again. He endured their conduct for about 40 years. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, when these people got free, they were unthankful. They were griping. They were complainers. And they didn't have faith and trust in God. Even when he wanted to enter the promised land. No, we're not going there. We're not going there. And you remember what happened when they came through the Red Sea and they came out here if, if you had been, let's say you're 40 years old and you lived all your life in Egypt, uh, in Egypt as a slave, when you got free, when you came outside and saw the miracle, the Red Sea, what would you do when you got on the other shore? Tell me what you would do. Complain and gripe, right? No, we'd be doing what? Well, what did they do? They get to the other side. Here's what they do. The food here is terrible. What's that white crud on the ground? There's no water in this place. This is absolutely ridiculous. What does God do? He endures that kind of crud. Are you glad God's a patient God? <laughs> they weren't praising. And then when they got to the promised land, no, no, no. So here comes 40 years in the wilderness. Now, I wrote this. Thanks. We need to thank God for his deliverance which he did, his grace, his patience, his provision, and protection. All of that took 450 years. Then, look at verse 20. After this, God gave them judges. Now, the nation of Israel should have been ruled only by God, a theocracy. But what happened? They saw the other nations have a leader. 
So God eventually gave in. And he gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Now, verse 31, then the people asked for a king. And he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. Now, Paul is doing this with no notes, no iPad, no Bible. He's just doing this from his where? His mind. Let me read you this verse. When you become a Christian, Paul knew this. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And I'll read to you from John 14. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, when Jesus went to the cross, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. So what you see there, here's a truth to write. God will remind us of his word when needed. Now, the promise is for every Christ follower who reads and studies the Bible. Now, Paul was a rabbi. He knew the Bible. He, there was no New Testament. He knew the Old Testament, front and back. He knew the promise of the coming of Messiah. Paul knew about sin and grace and forgiveness and the necessity of believing all of God's promises. He knew that. How powerful is that? Now, here's... A a little simple key really quick. The Holy Spirit will remind us of the verses that we need or the principles. The problem is, if you don't read the Bible, there's nothing to remind us of. (laughs) Did you get it? That's why we come here, to hear the word of God. What was it? You've all done this. You're witnessing to somebody, and you go, I can't remember that verse. I can't remember that verse. What verse? God, what verse is it? Ever been there? Yeah. And then you have to pick, God help me. And either you have to be honest and say, I forgot the verse, but I'll send it to you. Or boom, he sends it to you. And afterward, you walk away, I'm so good at this. <laughs> yeah, you will never remember the verse next time, <laughs> I'll tell you. But here's what happened. Think about this. I want you to look at me this, because this is huge. Saul was a Jew. He lived in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem at the time he lived, the Jews, by and large, small section believed in Jesus, disciples, but by and large, most of the Jews never believed in Jesus. He had already been crucified, dead, gone. They say they stole his body. So here's, here's Saul. He's there, who now is Paul. He's there, and uh, he hated them and didn't want, just like the Messiah, like, forget it. This is not the Messiah. This is not the one. Now, remember, he's a rabbi. He knows the Bible, but he's blinded. And as he was there, remember way back, Stephen, one of the new guys that was spirit-filled, kind of a servant, he, he, he met a bunch of Jews, and he said to them, they hated Stephen because they know he believed in Jesus. He gave a sermon like Paul's going to give. He gave a sermon about the Messiah. And he went through the Old Testament. He proved it really well and did everything as he did all that. And here's the thing. At the end of that, the Jews said to Stephen, and Paul, Saul was one of them, kill him. And Stephen was being stoned by big stones. And he was killed the first martyr in Christendom. 
Well, while he's being killed, Saul is holding his clothes and going, yeah, baby, this is fantastic. Got rid of the stupid hypocrites. People don't know anything about the Bible. They're stupid. They're idiots. Jesus, not a chance. Now, what is Saul doing now? He's going through the same verses, and he knows, I really blew it. Now, how about that? He's preaching about the truth that Jesus was the Messiah from the same verses that he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, would you call that a changed life? Hello? Anybody listening to me? You talk about a changed life. Here's a guy that didn't believe in Jesus. He spoke against him. So he's now teaching that Jesus was the Messiah. That's a changed life. Now, look at this next truth. No one is beyond the love and grace of God. Sometimes when we sin or people walk away from God, they think it's over. There's no chance to come back. I mean, I'm sure I'm speaking to some this morning here in Melbourne or Vera, Sebastian, online, wherever you're listening, watching. Let me read this verse to you. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious love, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness. Don't ever let Satan say to you, God doesn't want you back. You sin too much. That's ridiculous. Now, I've told you this before, but when this came up, it just reminded me again. What is one of the worst sins? Sin is sin. But what is one of the worst sins we could do? Just exactly what Paul had been living. He is not the Messiah, which most of the Jews today still believe. They're still looking for the Messiah to come. They're blinded. He is not the Messiah. Well, Paul and Saul and people we know in the Bible, they're not the only ones that did that. Think about one other. Remember the, the night that Jesus was being beat outside in the courtyard? Peter, his number one guy. Remember what Peter said? I'll never leave you. He's out there, and three times he says this to the people. We know you. You knew that man. You knew that man. You knew that man. You walked with that man. And three times Jesus is inside. He's watching this. And Peter says, I never even knew the guy. Three times. Now, would you call that a pretty difficult sin? Never knew the guy, but you lived with him for three and a half years? Well, what did God do? What did Jesus do to Peter? He forgave him. That's the God we serve. That should encourage all of us. You say, well, I don't sin like that. Yeah, but we sin enough. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I was reading this, I went, wow. Wow. 
Here's Saul. Here's Paul. Here's Peter. Thank you, Jesus, for the grace of God. And that's exactly what happened. So he continues on. Verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So here's where Paul is going. It's going to go back to David. Just watch me. David, from David's lineage, his sons and so forth as they move down. From David's lineage, the Messiah is promised to come through David's lineage all the way through. So here's what you see in verse 23. I put it on the overhead for you. For from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus. Notice these words. As he promised. Now, they've been reading that for years. They loved David. They knew that the promised Messiah would come from the lineage of David. They knew it. But they wouldn't connect Jesus of Nazareth with that. Blinded. Foolish. Easy to connect in the Bible. So Paul did this because he knew that the Jews didn't believe God's promise that he would give them a Messiah, a Savior for their sins. But God did it. I don't know what they're thinking while they're out there. Some of them are thinking, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't see the answer to that. Here's the truth. God always keeps all his promises God cannot lie. That's why we believe all the Bible, because it's all true, and it's filled with promise after promise after promise after promise over and over again. Now, Paul's preaching goal is to prove that the Old Testament, which the Jews used as their Bible to send Jesus the Messiah, was true. That promise, it actually happened. Remember, he's changed totally. He said no years before. Now he says exactly right. Now look at verse 24. Before the coming of Jesus, <clears throat> John the Baptist preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. How many remember John the Baptist? If you studied the Bible, you remember John. Remember the guy that was in the wilderness all the time and and, and basically ate locusts and looked like a zombie out there and didn't shave and whatever. <clears throat> but he came, and pretty soon he began preaching. And he was teaching. And the Jews would come to him like crazy. And he would teach what you just saw there, repentance, and be baptized in water. And as he was doing all of that, uh, he would just say to the people, it's going to happen. It's going to happen and happen. So they would go out there. Now, the Jewish leadership said, quit going to that guy. That guy's an idiot. Has nothing to do with anything. But Paul reminds the Jews that God promised something in the Old Testament. The Jews knew it, but they just ignored it. That a prophet would be announced, it would come and announce the coming of the Messiah. There'd be a person before him that would be saying to the people, Get right with God, because there is a Messiah coming to you. <clears throat> Look at this verse. This is so powerful. 
Acts 13, 25. As John the Baptist was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think I am the Messiah? See, some of the Jews were thinking, well, he must be the Messiah coming. Well, totally wrong. Do you think I am the Messiah? What does John the Baptist say? Come on, say it with me. No, I am not. But let's all read the next line. Come on, you can see it at home. All the campuses, up in the balcony, you can see. Let's read the next line. <clears throat> Do you? No, I am not. But he is coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. So what does he say to them? I'm not the Messiah, but he's coming. He's coming soon. Now, what kind of a person would John the Baptist not be equal to? the son of the living God. He says, I'm, I'm not able to even unlatch his shoes and wash his feet at that point. I can't. Uh, this, this guy is Jesus, and Jesus is the son of God. Now, the, Bap, the, the Jews read that. They heard that. They knew there was a forerunner, but they just didn't believe in it. So, Paul has covered a lot of territory. And the next thing he's going to do is talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 26. Brothers, children of Abraham. Remember, he's the head of people, head of the nation. And you God-fearing Gentiles. That's what they called the Gentiles. They feared God because they knew he was a real God. <clears throat> it is to us that the message of salvation has been sent. Think of that. God-fearing It is to us that the message of salvation. That's a great verse to, under, uh, to circle has been sent. Now look at verse 37. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize, they ignored Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sunday. Remember, the Old Testament talks about Jesus being beaten and the Jews would hang him and crucify him and do all those kind of things. This is amazing. And so Paul says, you guys still have it wrong. All of this I'm telling you, you've ignored Jesus. Why in the world are you ignoring Jesus? You read the prophets' things over and over and over again. And that's because they didn't want to believe. They were speculating. Now look at verse 28. Though they found no proper ground for death sentence, remember the Jews were trying to kill him, but they couldn't kill him in those days. So they went to Pilate. Pilate was the ruler. He could kill Jesus, and exactly he did have him executed. Verse 29, when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from a tree and laid him in the tomb. You see, in the scriptures, and you read it in a moment, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, 
it was says that the Messiah would die on a tree. Well, look at Paul writes it later, comes from the Old Testament. Paul writes it himself in Galatians 3.13. Look what he writes. You see it on the overhead. But Christ, Paul says this, has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. The law is the Old Testament. What was the curse? What was the curse that was going to happen to the Messiah? When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for wrongdoing. For it is written in the where? In the scriptures in the Old Testament. Remember, he's teaching Jews. Gentiles don't get this at the moment. For it is written in scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. See, the Old Testament said Jesus would be hung on a tree. Now, this is amazing. You say, well, Pastor Mark, he wasn't hung on a tree. He was hung on a cross. Well, you think the cross was made of steel? It was made of what? Wood. And crucifixion wasn't even known in those days. Do you see the brilliance of God? He made these prophecies, this truth. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. He died, crucified, on a tree, on a cross. Now, verse 30 and 31. I want you to look at the, what, what are the first two, verse, uh, two words in verse 30? What's the first two words? Okay, let's say it together. But God. I didn't do this other service, but I love to do this. Come on, say it again. But God. How many but gods do you have in your life? Woo! Remember Ephesians? We're all dead in our sins, headed to hell. But God. I think I'm done for. It's over with. It will never, I'll never be healed. Come on. Here you are. I'll never get married. Boy, you're a little weak on that baby right there. <laughs> Isn't that amazing, though? See, everything from the beginning, in the beginning, in the end, who has the final word? God. See, but God. He enters into our individual. Maybe you have something today in your life and you think it's not going to help. But God, people have been praying for me that I would make it through. And I've only bit my chip cheek one or two or three times. You probably didn't even know it. I know it. <laughs> but God answers prayer. And when I finally finish, I'm just going to say this. It has nothing to do with me. God gives strength. And he said to Satan, I have the last word. Thank you very much. Look at your own life. I'm not a special person. I'm just exactly like you. Maybe you're struggling with something today. You're a Christian. Give it to God. Don't be worried. But God. He will find a way to make a way where there is no way. And that's what Paul is trying to say. But God, let's read the verse. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people. See, Paul is saying truth is truth. And I have to present some hard things. 
And the Gentiles would have been having difficulty with this. So Paul shares about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he says to the Jews, remember what I said? These prophecies about the Messiah, you're studying them every day. I mean, every weekend at the Sabbath from your own Bible. You don't believe God's word. You ignore it. All these things that your prophets predicted about the Messiah have come to pass. Jesus was your suffering Messiah. Now, that's hard to say that truth to the Jews, but it's still true today. Exactly still true. Here's something important for all of us. Here's my last basic truth. Ignoring God's word brings unbelief and no truth. Don't ignore his word. You say, well, I don't really understand. No, there's lots of things we don't understand about God's word. I always love watching Billy Graham, some of his old things. The first thing he always said every time. There's some things in the Bible I do not know. Well, join the rest of us, right? But I do know it's all God's word. That's the way Billy would teach. If you ever find him in the 50s, that guy was on fire like crazy. And see, the world didn't know anything about it. I just want to say to you, don't be ignoring the truth. We have to know the truth, and we have to obey the truth, and we have to live by the truth. We're the light and salt that the world needs, so just stick with it. That's exactly what he did. Now, look at verse 32. We tell you the good news. Here you are. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us the children by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Now, so look at verse 35. So it is stated everywhere, you will not let the Holy One see decay. Let me try to explain this to you. In the Old Testament, the passages that the Jews pointed here, they were saying this whole passage of uh, that, 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 that this, this Holy One will never see decay. They're thinking this is David, King David, not Jesus. They didn't go back to what it really is. And when they were doing this, the Old Testament texts were saying, no, Jesus will be raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from, by, by God from the dead as he promised. And 500 people saw it. It wasn't like they stole his body. It was proved that was him. And here's the big part of that. Remember, they're saying David died, so this must be the son of God or something. And we don't know what that is. It's very complicated for them. But Jesus' body never experienced decay in the grave. After David died, did his body decay in the ground? Well, hello. Unless you were cremated in those days, your your body just decays like whatever. But why didn't Jesus' body decay? They're not talking about David. God is not talking about David. He's talking about Jesus, his son. Why didn't his body decay in the grave? Because he's in there three years. Three years? No, he was in there how many days? Three days. And then he was what? Resurrected to life. That's our Savior. That's supernatural. That's God. 
In those three days, nothing decayed. Because God knew he's going to come right back to life. And that is a promise that was in the Old Testament. David was human like you and me. We will be decaying in the grave. Jesus, no. Three days later, raised to dead. And how many people saw him? All the disciples saw him. 500 people more saw him walking the streets. You remember James, his brother? Even that's when he became a believer. Whoa, that's my brother. All those things he told me all these years, remember? He didn't believe. But he became a great writer and actually the head of the church for a long period of time and wrote the book of James. God knows how to do all of this. Now, what did Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection provide? What did it provide? Well, here's the truth. You know this truth. Our world doesn't know this truth. Man's greatest need is for forgiveness. The one thing that will keep anybody from heaven is our sin. Acts 13, 38. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Now, he's saying that to the Jews, and you'll see why. Specifically, of course, the Gentiles too. Through him, look at verse 39. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul says to the Jews and the Gentiles, I taught you God's word is truth. You will never be forgiven of your sins trying to keep the law, rules, regulations, and rituals. You'll never make it. I I put it like this. In other words, you can never be good enough to earn your salvation. If you ask most people who aren't Christians, why are you going to go to heaven? What's their answer? Good people go to heaven. Right here, Paul writes it later in Ephesians. It's by grace you're saved, not by your good works. Impossible. Now, the Jewish people felt if I keep all the laws, which they never could ever, they were going to go to heaven. No, Paul comes right out and says this. You will not go there. You know I use this all the time. Good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven people go to heaven. Doesn't mean we don't like good people, but they'll never go to heaven. You can't of your own good works. You can't do it. Then Paul says, if you decide to believe in Jesus, number one, not only will you be forgiven of your sins, you will also be justified, made right with God as if you never sinned. Wow. Stop and think of your sins. When you came to Christ, he knew them all. We know lots of them. But when we come to Christ, he forgives and forgets them all. Who brings them back to you? Satan. Yeah. They were real, but they're gone. They're gone in the sea of unforgetfulness. It's gone. It's finished. So let me just say this in a moment and I want you to see what you saw in your own heart. Remember, deciding to believe God's truth. That's what we were talking about. We've heard this morning, Paul teach, all God's word is true. Paul said to the Jews, I want you to know that believing in Jesus is the only way for your sins to be forgiven. I know that there's lots of you watching 
And this is kind of a shock to you, maybe. Well, I'm a good religious person, Pastor Mark. Well, I understand it. Good, thank you. But the Jews were good religious people. But your religion can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And as you're watching and listening, I know that many of you want what I talked about. Paul got a new start. Peter got a new start. You need a new start. You're at a dead end. You're trying to find purpose and meaning in your life, and you can't find it. Well, it's found in the name of Jesus. He can give you a brand new start. And not only that, he doesn't only give you a new start and purpose and meaning, but he gives you the guarantee of heaven forever. It's beautiful. Now, some of you watching... You used to walk with God. Remember what Peter said to Jesus? I'll never fail you. Whoops. That wasn't too good. It was full of pride. But God forgave his sins. And some of you just need to come back. Come on home. Be recommitted. Make a recommitment. In a moment, I'm going to lead you and people that have never asked Jesus Christ into their heart. And you that have walked away. Come on back. Satan will say to you, no, you've done too much. You've not done nothing like I talked about Peter and I talked about Paul. Not at all. You can be welcome back. Now, today is the day to decide to believe God's word. And when you think about that, here's the promise. Remember, we talked about God keeps all of his promises. Look at this promise. If you openly declare, you admit it, that Jesus is Lord, And believe, here's that word, in your heart that God raised him from the dead. We just proved that. You will be saved. See, it's making a decision to believe what you read from the Bible. This is not Calvary Chapel. This is the Bible. This is God's word. And if you want your sins forgiven and know that you'll spend eternity in heaven, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you just be saying that prayer under your breath and asking God. Just repeat it to yourself and to God. You're speaking to God. And I'm going to ask everybody at all of our campuses and those of you that at home are not, that are not necessarily praying that prayer, I want you to bow your heads and I want you to pray for all the people that are trying to decide right now, should I make that decision? Yes, you should. Today is the day of salvation. So bow your heads at all of our campuses in your homes when you can, if it's possible, and just pray for me a moment. Now, those of you that are going to make that commitment or recommitment, pray this with me right now. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Today, I turn from my sins, and I choose to follow you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me of all my sins. I open my heart and I receive a gift of salvation. And I look forward to how you're going to change my life and give me security and purpose and hope and the guarantee of going to heaven when I die forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.